All right. Good morning, everybody. Everybody ready for spring? How many, um, how many, just a, a quick, um, just manliness test. How many of you guys took care of your driveway with no power tools this morning, just pure shovel and muscle? All right. Good to see there's still a few of us left. Stupid enough to do that. All right. We're taking the season of Lent, which as we talked about last week, we don't normally talk, haven't normally talked about a Jacksonville Chapel, and there's some reasons that we're doing that this year. Um, and mostly it's to get our hearts prepared for Easter weekend. Uh, we really want to do that well and enter into the celebration of the resurrection, um, the, obser- the observance of the cross of Christ with hearts that are well prepared for it. And so the way that we're doing that is we're focusing on the last week of Jesus' life. So remember, he arrived in Jerusalem riding on a donkey on a Sunday, the day we call Palm Sunday. Uh, it was five days before the crucifixion. And uh, those few days between his arrival in Jerusalem and the crucifixion are so dense. They're packed with significant events and, and conversations and, and action. And so as we focus on the events of that final week, we're asking the question, what might God be calling me to give up? Not so that I can pat myself on the back, not so that I can think God must like me more, uh, but so that we can make space or make room to experience more of him. So <clears throat> today's passage is in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. It's another one of those events from that last week of Jesus' life. And uh, here's what it says. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. Here's what we're going to see from from this passage. Very straightforward. First, we're going to talk about the example of Christ, and then we're going to talk about the invitation of Christ. Right, Jesus' example, and then Jesus' invitation. Um, so first, let's talk about the example of Jesus. Um, remember, this was right before the holiday of Passover. So Jerusalem had much larger population than it does most times of the year. All these pilgrims would come into town to celebrate the Passover. And it says that some of them were Greeks, which doesn't technically mean they were from Greece. When the New Testament uses the word Greeks, it just means non-Jews. So these were Gentiles, but who apparently had, who had enough respect for Judaism and enough interest in it that they came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Apparently they'd also heard about Jesus. And so when they, they recognized some of his followers were there, they basically requested an interview with him, right? We'd like to, we'd like to see him and talk to him. So Philip and Andrew go to Jesus and they say, Lord, there's some Gentiles here who want to talk to you. And as soon as they say that, Something seems to stir in Jesus. It's almost like he takes that as a cue that it's time to move to the next step in some master plan. So instead of directly responding to the request, um, Jesus says something really mysterious. He says, the hour has come 
for the Son of Man to be glorified. What's he talking about? Well, if you had been reading the chapters of, of John preceding this, you would have seen a couple times where Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. And so it seems like there's some, some big event, some stage of, of his plan that was going to happen, but it, it had never been time yet. And so wait. And now all of a sudden, finally, he says, the hour has come. So whatever it is, this is this momentous moment that has arrived. And then he says in verse 24, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Quick story. A couple of years ago, I was out in my front yard working on the yard, and um, I saw these kids coming in the neighborhood, going door to door, knocking on doors and selling something for, I guess, for some kind of fundraiser. So they came up to me, and it turned out that they, you know, they had their little order form and their pen. They were selling seeds um, to, to grow flowers. And I figured right away, these must be, you know, from the, from the Netherlands, you know, reform schools. Those are the only people who would sell seeds instead of candy bars, you know, for fundraisers. And so I remember um, at the time, I just was feeling very honest, and I just didn't want any seeds, you know? I was like, what am I going to do with those? Um, candy bars, probably. Seeds, probably not. But my wife was there. She came up, what are they selling? And I said, they're selling seeds. She's like, oh, let's buy some. So she always says that. So we got out the money. We bought some seeds. They signed us up. And a couple of weeks later, they delivered these packages of seeds. Um, beautiful pictures of flowers on the front of the seeds. They handed them all to us. And so about three weeks later, you know what we had? We had a bunch of packages of seeds on the shelf in our garage <laughs> collecting dust. And then a couple of months later, when we cleaned out the garage, we threw them all away. You know what the moral of the story is? Don't support those fundraisers. They're just a waste of time. They sucker you with their nice looks, you know. No, it's not the, that's not the moral. You should support those things. Um, the moral is pretty obvious, right? Seeds are useless when they sit in the package. You know, unless a seed is dumped out and put under the ground, it just doesn't do anything worthwhile, right? It stays completely self-contained. Um, so these guys come up to Jesus, and they say, we want to, they come up to the disciples and say, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus basically says, your timing is good because my hour is here. All of my life has been leading up to this moment where I will be buried like a seed under the ground. Um, and, and, and wait until you see the harvest that comes up. And sure enough, a few days later, Jesus died and was buried. And not only did he rise again, right? That's part of the harvest that came up. In fact, the Bible calls the resurrection of Jesus the first fruits. Um, but much more grand than that, um, the, death of uh, the death of Jesus planted a seed for this massive movement that has changed the world and that continues to change the world. Um, which means if Jesus had held on to his life, and just think about this for a minute. Even if a lot of times people say the reason Jesus has been so influential is because he taught so amazingly. But even if he had taught amazingly, and even if he had done things that people felt were miraculous, and even if he had shown compassion, like all the other things that he did, but if he hadn't gone to the cross and he had just let himself, you know, just age and die, you know, in a normal life, um, we wouldn't be talking about him today. Uh, he'd be a footnote in history. In fact, this wouldn't be happening this morning. You'd be, you'd be sleeping in, just starting to shovel right now because there wouldn't be any church because the death of Jesus is what planted the seed for this movement that is called the Church of Jesus Christ. So pretty clear point, right? That the secret to Jesus' success was to let go of his life, right? I mean, that was kind of the key. That was his hour that had come, to let go of his life. Now, you want to hear the scary part? 
That's the key to our success, too. And I don't know if that sounds scary to you. It does kind of to me. It's great that Jesus did it, um, but I don't know if I've got the stomach for that. And that's really what the rest of, of what Jesus says here is all about. So let's talk about the invitation of Christ. Um, in verse 25, Jesus shifts from talking about himself to talking about us. Um, so listen, he says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. And anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, some of you, I know, just got stuck on the word hate, right? You're like, Jesus really want me to hate myself? It sounds, sounds awful. Um, this, is, this is poetic, literary uh, speak to make a strong point. Basically to say, to say, stop cherishing your life so much. Stop being so centered on yourself. Stop looking at the world as if you are the center of the universe. Because the more you try to hold on to your life and control your life, you're just going to lose everything. So it's this paradoxical principle, right? Um, if you hold on to your life, if you really control it, you're going to lose it. If you let go of your life, you're going to find it. Um, if I hold on to my life, I'm going to be like that package of seeds sitting on the shelf in my garage. Maybe a pretty picture on the package, but basically rotting on the shelf self-contained, no fruit, no influence on other people, no influence on the world, basically useless. But if I allow myself to be poured out, whatever that means, we'll talk about it, I will multiply and I'll flourish in beautiful ways. Um, and it kind of sounds profound and inspiring, right? The question is, what exactly does that mean? I mean what, am I, what am I supposed to, to actually do? Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, which is what Jesus is saying here, right? So let me just suggest three ways that Jesus invites us to, to die to ourselves. First, die to your old identity. Die to your old identity. Um, and here's why I say this. When Jesus talks about hating your life or loving your life, um, the word that he chooses for life is the Greek word psuche, which we, if you put it into English, it's psyche. And it, so it's a word that means, doesn't just mean your physical life. Um, it means your, your identity or your sense of self. Now, what he's not saying is you need to lose your identity and just sort of become one with the universe. Right? That's, that's Eastern mysticism. That's pantheism. That's Hinduism, Buddhism kind of thinking. But Jesus says, lose your life, not so you can just cease to have any identity, but so that you can find it. So you can really become who you're supposed to be. So how do you do that? There's a sort of parallel passage to this in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus is talking about a very similar thing. And there in Mark, Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? In other words, stop trying to build your identity, your psyche, your sense of self, on things that you can gain from the world. Um, because that's what we tend to do. Right? And so it is so natural for me to say, I feel like somebody. When I wake up in the morning, I feel like I, I, I've got an identity, that I've got some importance because I have gained, you fill in the blank, uh, a successful career. Right? I'm doing pretty well for my age. I'm doing better than some people. And so it kind of gives me a little sense of who I am. Because when I drive my car into my driveway, I see this nice home and I know that I've worked for it and I've maintained it. And that kind of gives me a little sense of who I am because I have this beautiful wife, because I have these great kids, because I have the respect of my friends. Whatever things we can gain from the world, 
Um, those are the things that we tend to say, that's gonna give me my sense of importance and worth and identity. You know what the problem is? What happens when something goes wrong with my job? What happens if the economy turns really bad and affects my career and I lose my house? Um, what, happens when, what happens if my, my wife leaves me? Not only is there a difficult thing going on in my life, but my very sense of identity starts to crumble. My sense of what I've built up as who I am as a person starts to crumble and starts to get shaky. That's a really scary place to be. When you look at Jesus, he says, you need to find a whole new way to, 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 to think about yourself, your, your sense of self. Um, die to your old identity. And what I'm not saying is, therefore, renounce those things. You know, get rid of your wife, get rid of your house, get rid of your stuff, because then you'll really be pure. Change your relationship with those things. Change the way that, that you look at those things. Um, and Jesus says, start basing your relationship on what I say about you. See the way that I love you. Personalize this. Don't, you know, so many times we look at the, the, the truths of the Christian faith in this really broad, vague way. But Jesus invites us to, say, to, to, to look at the way that he treats us individually. Look at the way he loves us. Look at the way his unconditional acceptance is on us. And as you see Jesus doing that for you, you begin to gain a new identity. It's not based on how many pounds you lost last week. It's not based on how many new customers you were able to, to, to get, how much new business you got last week. It's not based on who asked you to prom last week. It's based on the love of Christ. And all of a sudden, the sense of who you are begins to shift. It's not an overnight process. It's a, it's a process of discipleship and learning to think differently. Um, and now all of a sudden, your identity, or gradually, your identity is built on something that is solid and unchanging. When you start to do that, you start to become the person you were created to be. Um, I love the way C.S. Lewis describes this at the very end of his book, Mere Christianity. A lot of people don't make it this far. But listen to this. The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. There's so much of him that millions and millions of little Christs, all different, will still be too few to express him fully. In that sense, our real selves are all waiting for us in him. It is no good trying to be myself without him. The more I resist him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. All right, here's the second thing that Jesus invites us to do. Die to your controlled agenda. Um, there's this teaching in Romans chapter 12 where it says, look, in light of all the incredible mercy and grace that God has shown you, the reasonable response is for you to present your whole life as this living sacrifice to God. In other words, have this attitude about your life and your plans and your dreams where you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my time and with my resources and with my money and with my gifts? I'm yours. And what it says in Romans is really another way of what Jesus is saying here. Die to yourself. Let go of your life. And I think one of the most, for some of us, one of the most practical and necessary places to do that is in our schedule or our plans. Quick show of hands. How many people live by some kind of a schedule or a calendar? Like you check it every day and, and you, you live by the thing, right? How many of you guys, if you, if you lost your Outlook calendar and you couldn't recover it, you would be really in trouble? Any of you guys? I mean, 
for some of us, it's a big deal, right? Art, we, we do the things that are on our calendar. Here's my question. Does God have the right to intrude on your schedule? Everyone's in church, you're like, yes, pastor, of course. <laughs> I remember this once on a Friday afternoon, I was finishing up a sermon and it was, I'd been really working on it hard through the week, a lot of other things had happened, so it was kind of late on Friday. And it happened to be a sermon on how Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted um, to serve people's needs. It's just, you know, this is all like God messing with me like usual. So I finished, the, I'm just about to finish the sermon and there's a knock on the door. I was the only one left in the office. And it was this guy who needed to talk about some big problem in his family. So I'm like, all right. You know, so we spent about 20 minutes together and we talked and I prayed with him and stuff. I went back inside, I put the finishing touches on the sermon, I came back out and, and, and I walked in the parking lot and there was a guy, seriously, between me and my car and he had a flat and he was struggling to change his flat. And I'm just like, God, really, is this happening? And I went up and I said, you need any help? And he said, oh yes, I would love some help. So I changed the guy, I helped the guy change his tire and as I was changing it, I just was laughing to myself and shaking my head saying, I gotta be more careful what I preach about, you know? <laughs> God is actually listening to it, thinks I take this stuff seriously. <laughs> Let me make it really practical for today. Um, some of you have plans for after church today, right? Maybe your plans got messed with a little bit because of the weather, but you've got some kind of plans probably involving food, <laughs> involving maybe, you know, sports. Somebody just reminded me today that NASCAR is on. Now people are rubbing it in because they know how ridiculous I think that sport is. Um, some of you have probably social plans, you know, some, whatever, you've got some plans, right? So here's... And I do too. I've got, I've got things I'm planning to do after church. It's actually in my Outlook calendar. Uh, so here's the question. What if God throws a curveball into your schedule? What if some unexpected thing happens? There's some emergency that happens. There's some friend who needs help. There's some, you know, all, you know your, your roof is leaking. You know, probably right now your roof is leaking at home. And you come home and you find that out. The way that you respond to that determines who you believe really owns your life. Because if you believe you own your life, you will be annoyed and you will be resentful at the person who dared to interfere with your schedule, right? Um, and you will, you will feel robbed, like this is my time. But if God's own, God owns it, then he can do whatever he wants, right? Um, he has, the, he has the, the freedom to do whatever he wants. So in verse 26, Jesus says, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. And so here's how, what I'm trying to learn from this. I have a plan for this day. There are things I'm planning to do. Um, and yet my deeper goal, this is what I, what I hope to be. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not there yet. I don't always respond well. But my goal is to follow Christ more faithfully than I follow my calendar. But that's what I want to be able to say. That when it's clear that Jesus is intruding in my schedule, that I just quickly instinctively follow that and without even thinking twice about the fact that I'm not following my calendar. So if I sense that God is moving around me, that he's opening up some door, it doesn't mean that I become a slave to every whim or anyone who calls to me, right? There's, there's discretion and discernment. But if I sense this is what God is calling me to do um, and it's not anywhere on my agenda, I want to be more passionate about following him than about following and sticking to what's on my list. That's a big area of growth for me and, and some others, and I'm working on that. Now think about this, take that concept of who owns your day, right, Sunday, February 22nd, and expand that to larger, longer periods of time, because it's the same thing. For example, you're looking forward to having your best season of field hockey, or soccer, or basketball, or wrestling, 
and early in the season you get this injury and it looks like you're going to miss the rest of the season. How do you respond? Of course it's disappointing. Of course you're, you're upset about it. But ultimately, the way you respond shows who really owns your life. Or you're expecting your third child, and all you're praying about is that the child be a healthy child. And you deliver the child, and it turns out to be a special needs child. Healthy, basically, but, but re requiring a lot of extra work and a lot of extra attention. And of course, it rocks your world, and it, and, it, and it disorients you. But ultimately, the way we respond tells who really owns our life. Um, letting, letting go of the control of our agenda and letting God be God is a scary thing. I think that's part of what Jesus means when he says, lose your life, die to yourself. Um, scary, but it's the path to finding life. Uh, it's the path to peace. All right, the third part of Jesus' invitation is to die to your soft Christianity. Um, I, I think what Jesus says to his disciples here is one of the most vulnerable things that, that we hear him say. Because he just said, look, I'm about to fall into the ground like a seed and die. Um, and then he says in verse 27, now my soul is troubled. Oh, there's so much in that, isn't there? Jesus didn't say, I'm about to fall like a seed in the ground and die. Bring it on. Right? Let's not forget, Jesus was human. You know, he, he didn't like pain. When Jesus was working in his father's carpenter shop and he smashes his thumb with a hammer, he didn't go, ooh, that feels good because I'm Jesus. <laughs> he got hungry, he got tired, he got lonely. I mean, all those things like we get. And the thought of getting nailed to a cross was not a pleasant thought for him. And so he's just honestly admitting that. Now my soul is troubled. And I think he was admitting that sometimes following the will of God is just really hard. But then he says, and what shall I say? about this troubled soul. Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So Jesus lets us in on this internal struggle that he's having, right? He admits that what God is calling him to do is troubling and intimidating, but then he says, there's something I'm prioritizing over my own comfort, and it's God's glory. And so here's the question I have to ask myself. When God calls me to do something that's hard and intimidating and troubling, which he does sometimes, um, do I say, yes, Father, glorify your name? Um, or, 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 and by the way, to glorify his name means that people will see God's greatness, how worthy of praise God is somehow by how I live. That's what it means. It's like shining the spotlight on God by your life so people focus on him and see how great he is. So do I say that, or do I somehow find a way to weasel out of it? Do I somehow justify it and find an excuse not to do it? I don't know about you guys, um, I cannot get this picture out of my mind. Because these um, 21 guys who, um, these are brothers. These are people who believe in the same Christ that we do, right? And who, because simply because of their faith in Christ and their refusal to recant their faith, um, were beheaded last weekend. And in some ways, it's so far from our reality, right? I look at it, though, and I just feel sick. And I feel this sense of, of, of troubledness, like Jesus said. And, I, you know, right now, there's not many people asked to give up their lives for their faith in Christ in our country now. Who knows? There may be in the future. But it reminds me that God calls us to do hard things. 
Um, he calls us to do things that involve sacrifice. He calls us to serve. He calls us to give ourselves for people in extreme ways. Are we ready to let go of our soft Christianity and follow wherever God leads us? Are we ready to do things that are intimidating and troubling, but that bring glory to God? I mean, that's just a, that's just a, a straight up, honest, hard to answer question. I know it is for me. Whether it's in little ways or big ways, are we ready to let go of our control and let God take our lives? Let me, um, let me finish before we go into communion um, by quoting C.S. Lewis one more time. Listen to these words. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. And maybe, maybe you realize today that you are a lot like a package of seeds, still sealed up, you know, still on the shelf, never poured out. You're holding your life so tightly, and basically you're rotting, <laughs> You're self-contained, you're in that package, and it's time to give up control. Um, let's talk about that a little more as we go into communion. But first, servers, would you go back and get ready to serve us communion? And let's just pause for a moment and pray that God will prepare our hearts. Lord, the last thing that we want to do is just kind of uh, play the feel-good church game. And today, as we listen to the words of Jesus, and as we're reminded of what uh, brothers and sisters are going through around this world, Lord, I don't pray for us to muster up courage, for us to try harder, but I pray instead, Lord, that you would fill us so deeply with the presence and the life of Jesus Christ that we would become the people that you call us to be. Lord, show us how the body and the blood of Jesus Christ uh, is what we need to live this way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, uh, 